Hi, my name is Aaron McManus, and you are listening slash watching to the Battle Ready Podcast. Today we have a special episode. We are in Amsterdam, and this was eight months ago before everything shut down, before everything got crazy, before the world had a pandemic, before Los Angeles had fires, before all of the elections. So if you're listening to this, there's a little bit of context. We're talking about burnout, which is ironic because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, or hopefully towards the end of a pandemic, and we're talking about something about kind of the Amsterdam youth culture, where there's just this huge culture of uh, not accepting help, saying you're burned out, but not telling anyone, and just massive suicide, massive depression. Mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide is something that is very dear to our hearts, something that I think so many people have struggled with that I love, at times I've struggled with. So we get to talk about burnout. We are in a church context, but I think it doesn't matter. Wherever you're from, whatever background you may have, this podcast will apply to you. It's a really special one. We filmed it in front of like a thousand young people in Amsterdam in this amazing theater. So if you're wondering who's laughing at all my bad jokes, it's them. And they're awesome. And we love them. And we had the best 48 hours in Amsterdam. So if you listen to this podcast, rate and review it. Give us a comment. Follow us at Battle Ready Podcast on Instagram. And I hope you enjoy this one. So this is exciting. Welcome to Battle Ready. We're doing our first Battle Ready in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Come on. So exciting. That's so exciting. But we wanted to, to so what do you want to do today? And well, how do you want to do this? Because we're going to add a guest as well. We are going to add a guest. Yes. And you might know him. You might know him? Yeah. Well, um, we just met. I cannot pronounce Richard's last name. Vanderkoek? Vanderkoek? Vanderkoek. Vanderkoek. I would like to introduce to you Richard Vanderkoek. Awesome. Here, you can, you can take the, the outside one. Um, we've never had a guest on the podcast. So you're our first guest. Fantastic. What an honor. Amazing. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> we, so you start, because apparently I'm well, wrong. Well, Richard, one, it's uh, been wonderful to meet you and to spend some time with you today. Love the city. It's gorgeous. And the community here at Hillsong is amazing. You guys are incredible. It's been an honor to have you and, with us, honestly. But one of the things we were talking about was um, backstage was burnout. And that one of the cultural challenges is an overwhelming sense of burnout. Um, and I imagine it's probably even higher among the millennial culture in here in Amsterdam. Yeah. And so I thought we could have a conversation about burnout. And Aaron, you know, you are a millennial. And uh, with like a millennial with like a retirement card. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, I thought we could have a little conversation about burnout, what it is, what it isn't, how to um, work your way through it, some of the limitations. So I'm, maybe we could begin by just asking you a little bit and um, um, a background. Do you find that you have a challenge here with? younger people experiencing more burnout than the generation that's older than them. Do you see a generational difference or, um, or do you think it's been across the board for your culture? Well, I arrived here in the Netherlands about 10 years ago mm -hmm. and I'd never heard of burnout as much as when I came here. It's almost like there's an immediate, it's part of the language. But you're an Aussie, right? 
So you guys surf all the time, so how can you burn out? <laughs> well, that's true. I did spend 11 years in London before I came here. Okay. But so, so 10 years ago, I was hearing it amongst people in the, the workforce. So I, I don't know if it's a Gen X thing as well as a millennial thing, but it's definitely a... It's definitely across those two generations that I've experienced it over here, yeah. So for people who don't know the generational language, if you break it down to decades, like people in their 50s or 40s or 30s or 20s or teens, where would you say you see the highest amount of conversations about burnout? I'm seeing a lot in the 20s and, and early 30s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which would fall more into your, your generational... Uh, flow of millennials right, and not to take and to not to not um, receive any of the blame or to own anything But do you feel like it, it was it's a cultural thing from passed down from parents to kids Where it was like an inherited culture inside the home of you know, you don't burn yourself out You have to make sure you don't do yeah, that's a really good question, and I don't know the answer to that I just think it's interesting. That the first thing you do is blame the parents <laughs> Well, I've had years of therapy and the thing that they've told me is you didn't get this way on your own. <laughs> I'm saying be happy you had a father. <laughs> That's how I got. I I do think no I I do think that because I, I we we planted a church I planted a, I got to be a part of a church plant in in a suburb of of L A called Orange County, and it was and it well, you laugh because. He never went. No one there would call it a suburb of L.A., all right? It's a county. <laughs> it's a county, yeah, yeah. It was, it's where people who wanted to live on the beach but just say that they live in Southern California but just avoid L.A. altogether. And I think when we went, we thought it was a suburb of L.A. because we had a lot of friends who had kind of grown up there. But we realized the culture was so quickly was the antithesis of the city culture of you have to make sure you don't burn out. You have to make sure you don't serve too much at church or that you don't go too much at church. And that if you go, you're getting, you know, if you're serving, you're getting paid. Or if you're, if you're going, you're receiving more than you're giving. Because it was kind of this plus minus score that if, if it was unequally balanced, you were going to burn yourself out. And it was a very, very interesting place because beautiful people, incredible people, incredible families, strong family units. But like a, a, a very, uh, very much an unwillingness to like increase their capacity. And that's something I ask you a lot about is like how do you manage capacity uh, if you have a low one, how do you increase it? If you have a high one, but you're burning yourself out, how do you actually manage this idea of burnout? Sure. One of the things that you should know, since we're in another country, that in battle ready, we're not um, politically correct or culturally sensitive. And uh, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a Latin American from El Salvador. And yeah. all right, thank you. All right. And, I don't know how you got here, and, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and, and, and we'll deal with some of the seriousness of burnout, but um, from my vantage point, the concept of burnout is a very white disease. I'm going to go and, home now. <laughs> and you, you just don't really hear a lot about burnout in Africa and, uh, or in Latin America. And, and, and then the Asian culture that is so driven by work, but they don't actually use the language of burnout. They don't know they have that luxury. And so there, <laughs> there are certain things that are, are dynamic psychological um, manifestations that 
need affluence and opportunity and freedom and education for them to gestate properly. And because when you look at people who worked in coal mines for 100 hours a week, they never talked about depression, but they had to have been depressed. But they they didn't have the option, so they got up and went to work every day because they had a, a wife and six kids. And so the things that become debilitating in our advanced culture are things that actually existed in the past, but they were not life-ending and debilitating. People found the, so the resilience. So I would say is that, that as we talk about things like burnout, I think there has to be a, a sub-conversation about the uh, decline of resilience yeah, well. wow. and, uh, and culture. So let, let's talk a little bit, all right, about burnout. Let's talk about things that do not burn you out, okay? Can we, like, be optimistic and positive for a minute? And Because uh, <laughs> what I found is, like, there are some things that people can do all the time and never burn out. Like, I, I know millennials and Gen Xers, if you want to use all the language, people in their 20s and 30s, who can play video games all day long. <laughs> Warcraft, what is it called, or which one do you, which one do you like? Are they... I, I play FIFA. You play FIFA. <laughs> yeah, there's another one that, that you guys used to play. It was more of a war one. I'm not going to admit this live in front of people, so. Um, Come on, speak it up. No, no, it's like Call of Duty, you know. Call of Duty. I, hey, my gamer tag is Rev Catcher, Reverend Catcher. If you wanted to add me, <laughs> I would destroy you. I, I don't know if, if Warcraft or those kind of Call of Duty, whatever, Call of Duty are, are those things here? And do you have any friends who can play it for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours? And the only reason they have to stop playing is because they live at home and their parents say, go get a job. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> there's some things you can just do all day and they don't seem to burn you out. Um, any, any, any musicians in the room? A few? Um, like when you get around a musician, like a drummer, they can just practice playing the drums for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. You know anybody like that? Yeah. And, and they can practice and never burn out. Yeah. And there are people who are writers and they love to write and they could just write all day and never burn out. So we, a lot of times we put burnout as the uh, manifestation of hard work, but it's not. Yeah. Because there are one, it's not about how long you do something because you can do things like video games. You can do things like watching TV and never burn out. And uh, <laughs> right? you, you can do things in the musical world if you're a musician and never burn out. There, there are certain things you can do. Like dating. Like, do you remember anybody here dating? Okay. No one's admitting to it. Wow. Dating no, is not no. a thing. In There's going to be a lot of conversations okay. after All right, this. Okay, we're, we know another battle ready to have. Yeah. And, uh, like, why didn't you raise your hand when in public? When yeah. like, you don't, you don't want to be associated with me in public, then don't hang out with me in private. Yeah. Ooh. You're going to go home on the, by yourself today. We're okay. going to ride that bike all the way back <laughs> by yourself. It, it could be that we have a few single guys and single girls, and maybe we can sort, sort that out in the foyers afterwards yeah. as well. When you're really into someone, it's amazing how you don't burn out talking with them. And you can actually tell the relationship is turning a turn if you're just 
if you get tired of talking to each other more quickly. And because burnout has less to do with work and has more to do with passion. That, and, or if you flip it of, um, do you you think, do you find that, that in, in the culture, the local culture, that people are doing jobs that they're less passionate about, but are more functional? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I think people are, people are told, you know, be responsible, get a job, set up your future and, and then they, they do exactly that instead of looking for, you know, what, what am I passionate about? What, are, what do I want to do to change the world? And, and then get involved in that. Yeah. All right. Um, if you'll be a little bit transparent, how many of you say you felt burnout at some point? Wow. Okay. It's a most, uh, that's a lot of people who told the truth. Because I, I guilted them for not. <laughs> no, no, I meant the ones who didn't raise their hand. They're yeah, not yeah. yet telling the truth. <laughs> no, no. And how many of you... Um, when you felt burnout, we're doing something out of obligation. See, there's a direct relationship between living a life of obligation mm. and experiencing burnout. Wow. Because you only have a, you have a limited amount of psychological energy for things that you feel obligated to do and do not want to do. And the, the danger, of course, is that burnout is a real experience. And so what, I, what I'm actually not saying is I'm not diminishing the reality of burnout. I'm actually arguing against what leads us to burnout. Because once you experience burnout, it can be debilitating. You can really feel paralyzed. You feel anemic. You don't have the energy to get up in the morning. You probably begin to struggle with stress, maybe even anxiety, maybe even panic attacks. And, and all of that comes in that universe of burnout. But what you'll actually conclude is you've burned out because you work too hard. And what you have to be more objective about, and I know you guys, our culture really values facts and, and data and information and objectivity. You have to realize there are people who are working much harder than you did when you were burned out that are still not burned out. So what you want to do is you want to figure out how to make the changes in your life that increase your capacity so that you don't keep hitting the wall of burnout. And some of you are hitting it faster and faster because um, there is no cure to doing the wrong thing right. And so if you keep trying to go at it a different way, but you're going at the wrong thing, you're going to have the same outcome. How do you bring purpose to something that you feel lacks purpose? Because I think that so often, I mean, I know that like I'm young and I've, I've worked for you for six years. Not every task that you've given me has, had, has felt like there's purpose in it. When I was cleaning the toilets in the, the nastiest location that we have. Um, there's, a, there's an underlying un, uh, bitterness that, uh, <laughs> that I hear here. <laughs> Post-traumatic burnout syndrome. Um, no, I, no, but the, how do you bring purpose to something that, you know, that, how do you find purpose in something? That, that lacks purpose or lacks passion? That's a great question. Because not everyone can just quit their job and start new, right? You, you're, some people are on a trajectory. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push toward you a little bit. Um, years ago, there was a lot of conversations about uh, work and the value of work. And one of, the things, one of the challenges in faith is that work is seen as the outcome of sin. And uh, like if Adam and Eve had to mess it up, we would have never had to go to work. <laughs> I, I do think that's the way we've approached work a lot. Yep. 
And, uh, you know, because if it wasn't for them, we could just be naked in the garden eating all day. And, uh, and <laughs> I can't even look at you right now. I feel awkward. Like, I just, we would be naked right now, just uh, crossing my legs for sure. <laughs> we were going through security and to get here to Amsterdam, and I had a jacket and a hoodie and this T-shirt. And he kept telling you to take off layers. And he said, take off the jacket. I took a jacket, and he goes, take off the hoodie. And I took I said, please don't ask me to take off the shirt. It's going to be really embarrassing for all of us. And, uh, because I, I can't even be naked and unashamed alone. <laughs> and, uh, but that's how bad it's become. But the problem is that we think work, work came after the world fell apart. But it's not true. Work came before. Work was um, a part of the chemistry yeah. of paradise. And so it's really not about finding meaningful work. It's about bringing meaning to your work. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want you to just maybe address that a little bit because I know you could not have done what, what has happened here with probably without working 100 hours a week when you first were going. And you probably didn't see the return that you hoped you had. Yeah. And um, talk about a little bit about how you reconcile it inside of yourself? How do you motivate yourself when um, you feel like you're not getting enough back for how much you're putting in? Yeah. If you've ever felt that way. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have. And I, I think there's a, couple of, there's a couple of different things with that. One is realizing God's grace towards you. I, I like what the Apostle Paul says, is by the grace of God I am who I am. And his grace is not without effect, and I've worked harder than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God at work in me. But the other side of it, I think, is, is why we go to work, like the purpose of work, where Jesus says you can't serve God and money. So what do you work for? Are you working for the money, or are you, work, or are you serving God in the workplace? Yeah. And I think when you start serving the money when you're going to work for the money then it's really that it lacks purpose and it lacks passion it's pretty hard to get passionate about that yet if you if you're serving for the purpose of God and you find the purpose of God in your workplace whether that's to bring bring something into people's lives to make a difference in people's lives that you're working for or or whatever however it is that you approach it then it changes everything. It changes how, and then you can get passionate about being at work because you're not serving the money. You're not working for money. You're working for purpose. And because you're passionate about what you're doing and you you want to achieve, you'll get paid more. You'll you'll you probably get promotions because you're you lift in the the whole dynamic in the workplace, and your your boss wants to give you more influence, and 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 things move forward. And I think it's so. It's that finding the purpose. And recognizing what the purpose of God is and that we're on the planet for a purpose. And so for me, when I start getting to that place of, um, you know, I feel like I'm giving so much more than I'm receiving. I just come back to what God gives me and that I'm here for a purpose and that I'm believing for, for other people to experience what I've experienced from him. And that just energizes me. Yeah. Did he answer the question? Well, no, no, you've got to stick them to the question, though. What? The question. I mean, the, like, like the, 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 have you ever had moments, though, where you feel like you've, you've lacked that purpose? 
or or not the purpose, but you were talking about you being optimistic. You're like, I'm so optimistic. Like I'm your mind. Your number one thing is optimi optimism, like a strength. <laughs> yeah. But you're like, but with yeah. that, because I know that I have positivity, but no one in my life would be like, you're the most positive person I know. <laughs> you know. But but you, but you but you were you were talking about how you're like I am so optimistic, but I also but because of that I see the things that are the negative. Yeah, I, I find because I'm optimistic, when I discovered that that is something that is part of who I am, I, I realized why I'm always excited about the future and about possibilities, and I'm always so disappointed about where I am right now. <laughs> so I, I live but, in this. See now this, we're now we're getting to the truth. I, I live yeah. in this place of disappointment. <laughs> So I feel like I'm, I, always, I, thought I, was, I thought we'd be further than this. I thought there'd be... And so I, I always find myself disappointed with where we are now, yet optimistic about the future, excited about the future. You know? And there's something, as like a young person, and not saying you guys are both old, but... Um, <laughs> I, I just keep can't looking at it. I, can't, I don't know you well enough to... I respect you and honor you so much. Um, <laughs> But we have two different centuries represented here. Yes, 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 yes. yes. You were Generation One. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. But but I, as like a young person, I was having this conversation with someone this this last week actually, and they asked me like, do you ever feel boxed in in life, like where you feel trapped within your own choices, and not even bad choices, but the good choices, the successful choices, the you know, serving at church, having a family, being a part of something beautiful, and yet still feeling this like human carrot. Juristic. Is it natural or is it imposed, self-imposed of like being trapped inside your life and, and feeling like you need to run or need to leave or need to change things? But when I hear one, because I see this room and it's so beautiful and I'm hearing the stories of what you do and I have, had, I have friends who come, who have come to our church who are from your church and they rave about what you do in, in Amsterdam. They're like, Amsterdam is a beautiful city because I have a community like what's here. And, and um, but as like a young person, I think I see it and I go, when you say that, it's so freeing to me to go, oh, that's a person I want to follow because he's never, he's always seeing the good, but he's always unhappy because there's more people to reach and more people to bring into a community. And I'm like, you're like that. It's us older people. Older people. It, it, it felt like an accusation, but... Um, I love it. It's no, good, no, no. but how it's do you, true. how do you, I feel trapped sometimes and I have a great life. Yeah, I will say this. That nope, no, no help. No, I, I want to address this specifically. Yes, sir. The richer you are, the more educated you are, the more um, it feels like life has leveraged your success more, the more you would struggle with what I would describe as gambler's dilemma. That when you're poor or an immigrant, um, um, or uh, struggling from the outside in, which was a lot of my experience, you don't have a gambler's dilemma. You didn't, you didn't in, spend a lot and lost it all. In gambler's dilemma, what, what you find is that people who are making money when they're gambling have an easier time quitting than a person who's lost money. The more money you lose, the harder it is to quit. And so if you're in this room, you're probably fairly educated. You, you, you have, on a, on a global scale, life is leveraged in your direction. You have more advantages than most people in the world. So that, so that means that you have more psychological handcuffs to keep you from quitting a life you hate. 
You're going to stay at the roulette, uh, um, roulette wheel all your life, throwing a little bit more money down on the same game because you've lost so much you can't afford to quit. You, you went to college and you got a degree you now wish you did not have. <laughs> that was such an uncomfortable laugh. I, like, I, I think... <laughs> you, you, um, you went on and got another degree because you didn't want to go to work. And, uh, and, your, and either your parents, you or someone else is carrying that debt. And you have an obligation to make that investment work. And so the sacrifice of that gamble is your fulfillment, your happiness, your future. So you'll stay a dentist all your life and die having hated being a dentist. You'll stay an economist all your life because of course you're Dutch. You, st <laughs> you studied economics because that's how God designed every Dutch person ever born. Because you're all supposed to be the same. And so you don't listen to the internal narrative that makes you different. You listen to the internal narrative that makes you the same. But the longer you live, the narrative inside of you that actually is the voice of your uniqueness starts screaming out, why have you suffocated me? And one of the most difficult things in the world to do is to give yourself permission to walk away from the table and say, I lost, I invested all this and it's been lost, but I'm not losing my future to what I've invested for in the past. Yeah, and, and what you're saying there, even, even your example of, of studying is something that's very prevalent here. Uh, got a question with that as well. Uh, do you think that identity plays a part where you identify yourself with what you're trying to achieve and if, or what you want to achieve and if it doesn't happen? Very, very much so because identity is a social construct. You, don't, you, you cannot have an identity outside of community. You only know yourself in relationship to other human beings. And if your identity is based on responsibility, you're responsible to your parents, you're responsible to your society, you're responsible to humanity to fulfill this particular function, then your identity becomes so disconnected from who you are. And you, you know, when you were sharing a little earlier about, you said two things, grace and purpose. Those are, those are really two words. And I, and, and I try to translate language because a person without God wouldn't know what grace means. You, you know, and honestly, a lot of people with Jesus don't know what it means either. We just know it's a good word. You know, we just, we just know we're supposed to like have grace. But when you were talking about grace, what I hear is value that you're placing your value in who you are, not in what you're doing, but in, in your relationship. Is that a proper translation of that? Uh, I think that's fair, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and because a lot of times you can't make the choices that move you out of burnout if your identity is based on what other people think of you. And based on, 
other people's affirmation of your life. You have to come to a place where you go, I'm going to be who God created me, me to be. And even if I get this wrong, I know it doesn't diminish my value to God. And the second part of that is purpose that you talked about was, again, it's like uh, we spend our lives hoping that work will be meaningful. And how many of you have been disappointed by that? I, I mean, I've had jobs. I, I, I came to Jesus and I mean, I've done everything. I was a carpenter, I, you know, as everyone thinks Jesus was. And, uh, um, and um, I was a carpenter, I worked construction, I was a lumberjack, I was a librarian. And uh, um, I mean, I, I worked in landscaping. I, I did a lot of jobs because I was unemployable. And uh, so I just kept going from job to job. And I would say almost all the jobs I had were inherently meaningless. I had to bring meaning to them. And, and there are times I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm flipping burgers. I mean, I did not have really, really exciting you know, jobs. But when I came to, to Jesus, every place I went, in fact, I worked in a kiosk at, at SeaWorld. It was like a prison. And uh, I, had, I had long hair. I had not cut all my life. And they made me cut it to work there. And because... Uh, I had to look like every other American and, uh, that looked like Ken and Barbie. And, uh, and, and I had to wear this stupid there, there's uniform. There's no 10 Ken Barbie. Sorry, I know there's no Latino Ken. And, uh, but, uh, um, and I, I felt I was in prison. This is right after I came to Jesus. And I'm watching the ski show happen while I'm working the ski kiosk. And I thought to myself, okay, I know that a part of my intention now is to help people connect to Jesus. So I'm going to share Jesus with every single person in this kiosk as fast as humanly possible so that I can make my presence here irrelevant so that God has to move me. <laughs> See, maybe God hasn't moved you from your job because you haven't done your job yet. Boom. You, you worked at SeaWorld? <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. It's, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> no, it's, uh, uh, yeah. Um, I would like to ask a practical question. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm new to this or if I'm just young and going, I feel trapped or feeling burned out, there is, like, we're dealing with the largest amounts of anxiety and depression and loneliness that, that the world's ever seen. Also, the, the world has been turned on. We can see the world now through Instagram and Facebook and social media more than we could have ever before. It was always there, mm -hmm. you know? It was always there, but, but we're, I think we're, it's uncovered. How do you, to some degree, it's, it's, it, it doesn't just go away because our capacity doesn't instantly change. That's right. So, so, so burnout is still real whether it's self-imposed or it's actually like a product of a situation. Environment. Environment, yeah. yeah. How do you deal with it, whether it's real or not? That's a great question. Yeah. And I actually do have a real practical um, response, which you know will surprise you. And, uh, but, it, but it's going to take me a minute to become practical. You get one minute starting now. Okay. And uh, um, humans are designed in what are called um, open-loop creatures. And so humans have an open loop, which means that you are affected, we are affected by the emotions and actions and opinions of other people. If you're a closed loop, you couldn't be affected by someone else's emotions. Are you with me? Yeah. So because you're open loop, have you ever walked into a room and you were really 
optimistic and you got around a lot of really negative people and you left out really depressed. Yeah. It's because you're open loop and so you let their, what's inside of them get inside of your loop. And because you're open loop though, you can walk in depressed and walk out optimistic when you walk into an optimistic, hopeful environment. And one of the beautiful things about Richard and, uh, is that he is a natural optimist. And so every time he's going to create an environment, he's going to create an optimistic environment full of hope. So if you struggle with burnout, ironically, one of the best things that you can do is be in church. I, I know it sounds crazy. Even if you don't believe in God, all right, you should, you should believe in this. That being in an optimistic place that is full of hope and, and, and breathes that into you will actually put hope and optimism inside of your loop. And it's a part of the way, by the way, that we move toward believing in Jesus. Because we go, I don't believe in Jesus, but somehow I feel more hopeful. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm leaving here more optimistic. See, one of the really challenging things where you're an atheist is to not believe in God, but still be experiencing what people who believe in God are telling us we should experience. And and we haven't really understood the psychology of this. But when you're in an environment and everyone's believing, you actually start to believe. When you're in an environment and everyone says, we can overcome, there's a battle, but you know, um, we're, gonna, we're gonna win this battle, all of a sudden, you start getting flooded by all of this yeah. stuff. So one of the things you can do practically is get away from people who are making you more negative. And get around people who actually pour hope and optimism yeah. into you. That's great. Okay. And, and I think another thing you need to do is you need to get some sunlight. <laughs> so you either get it. I'm a really practical person in some ways. And uh, you like need to go get, get a tan. No, like no, go, no. Like a, there are now because we understand blue light. And you can, you can get some light. You are, you are designed out of the material of earth, of creation. And we don't expect harvest to grow without rain. We do not expect flowers and uh, things to grow without sunlight. And yet somehow we treat ourselves as if we're disconnected from creation. And you're going to be more depressed if you do not get some light. And, and by the way, light comes in many forms, invisible and invisible. Human beings are emitters of light. And when you're around human beings who have a positive posture toward life, they're emitting life into your soul. And, and that's one of the things that happens when you actually become a person of faith is that you're not just needing an exterior um, source of light. You become an interior source of light. And you begin to bring light to other people. So I'd say some practical things like I, I've... I've had all kinds of neurological exams and... We both, like, we both suffer, not suffer, but we both struggle through insomnia. Yeah, well, I not have... sleeping for... I, yeah, I didn't sleep really for 50 years. And... Uh, um, I'm so sorry. I would, I've gone... I went up to six days one time without sleeping. And, um, and I would sleep one to two hours every night. And, um, and because of childhood trauma, um, I suffered with, uh, have suffered with night terrors for almost my entire life. And, uh, and so I, I'm not speaking as a person who's living this perfect life where everything has worked out just great and everything is you know, um, easy. I'm talking to you as a person who has to face some really difficult 
moments in my life, some deep psychological trauma and challenges. And I can tell you, there are things that I would do, you know, and, um, and I know these things are true. So getting some sunlight and um, getting outside of yourself. Getting sunlight, but more specifically, like we were a part of a research study that now yeah. has like gotten adopted by um, by like the U.S. like government to like help um, guys who go, who've gone through PTSD or have like mm -hmm. insomnia or have like psychological issues. We don't have psychological issues, but um, but but we but we do talk through this stuff. And so we went and did this study, and they basically said that you need to get sunlight, or you need to get yeah. outside light, whether it's rainy, cloudy, snowy, sunny, between the hours of 6 a.m. and 11 a.m. Yeah, somewhere between like 8 and 11 a.m. So that gives yeah. us hope. It can be cloudy. It can be cloudy. Yeah, it can, it can be, be cloudy. cloudy. But your yeah. body actually needs your to body store. Needs that for, it's the only hours where the light affects your mental, your mental rest. Yeah, and it, and, and it actually stores up your melatonin yeah. in, your, in, your, in, in wherever that melatonin yeah. is stored. Yeah. Um, but, but, no, yeah. no, but, no, but given the practical yeah. things. Given the practical yeah. things. Other given thing the practical is, things. Um, practice communicating who you want to be and how you want life to be to other people. Wow. We create an internal narrative and a huge part of the power of the spoken word yeah. is not like this weird kind of thing of speak it to manifest it. Right, that's magic, by the way. I, I, elephant, there's no elephant, okay? And so I don't want to take it to this place. You didn't place. say it like you meant it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I own that. But, uh, and, um, but when you use negative self-talk, I can never do this. I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to get past this. You are creating an internal narrative that will define your life. And you need to change your language. And, and I, I, as, even when I was young, I would make sure we would never say to someone, you're a liar. You could say, you just lied to me. But do not define other people or yourselves by your worst moments. So, you know, you may have stolen something. doesn't make you a thief. And we tend to um, define ourselves by the worst moments in our lives, by our worst actions, by our worst characteristics. And I think a huge part of um, changing the internal narrative that moves you out of burnout is owning your life. Listen to your language. How much of your language is victimized? And if you use passive language, like um, this is happening to me, um, and when you speak about your life as if it's outside of your control, when you speak about your circumstances, and what you blame will be the best lens to let you know whether you're gonna break through burnout. Yeah. No one wants to take responsibility for their life in their worst moments, but, and I shouldn't say no one, most of us, kind of like all of us, and, um, but here's the problem. What you take responsibility for, it's the only thing you have the power to change. If you abdicate responsibility, you abdicate power. That was really good, that was power. really good. And, and so when you blame others, you now give the others the power to change it. That's why you end up living your life as a victim. So when you're struggling with burnout, a huge part of it is a feeling of powerlessness. Because if you hold on to your power and you, and you, and you are empowered, you do not experience burnout because you do not, do not allow yourself to be in that situation where you feel paralyzed. Yeah. Mm. And so I always remind myself, 
uh, and in my life. And you know, I, I graduated from high school with a straight D average. I could not get into college. It and, was the 70s, they let anyone out. Yeah, and uh, I negotiated my way out of high school <laughs> because they were gonna fail me, and I said, do you really want me to come back? <laughs> and, and they passed me because we all agreed it would not be good for anyone. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I floated and did nothing with my life, and, and then I begged my way into a college. I stumbled into a philosophy class. I found out that I loved to think, and I just didn't like thinking about meaningless things, which I felt was everything we were studying from first to 12th grade. <laughs> and, and, and I made a decision in my life that I would not blame my past, my family, my background. I would not blame my circumstances. And so I was offered an ethnic minority scholarship in college. I turned it down because I did not want to receive money for the chance of my birth. And I wanted to create wealth rather than be given money. And I made a decision in my life that um, I would always believe I had within me the capacity to create whatever future I, was, I longed to live. And I can tell you, the more you take responsibility and ownership for your life, the more you will be empowered to break through. You experience burnout, not because you work too hard, but because you may be doing the wrong work or you're, doing, you're living a life you didn't want. And no one can change that but you. And by the way, I know this is really hard. No one else is responsible to give you the life you long for. You can pray and hope there will be people who want to help you achieve it. But in the end, it's on you. And I like that. Fantastic. I like being 61 and going, I have things I've not yet done. There are things I'm still going to create. And nothing can stop me. Amazing. Amazing. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. You want to wrap up? I think we should. Do you have any final thoughts, Richard? Uh, I've got so many questions I would love to ask you. But I think we... Uh, we're out of time. I don't, I don't know the rules. <laughs> well, it's, it's our show. Yeah. But it's his, but it's his, uh, there are people other, in other places right now. Are they still watching with us? Yeah, yeah guys. In Brussels? In Brussels. Wow, we're so excited to bring Battle Ready to Brussels. It's so cool. And uh, it's so yeah. amazing. It's we amazing. want to welcome you guys. Thank you, guys. Us. Thanks for joining with us. I think this is such a great conversation, and thank you for letting us have it. And, um, and if you're suffering with burnout right now, um, first of all, we want to pray for you. Can we pray for him right now? Yeah, uh, we want to pray for you right now and want you to know that we love you. And um, so oftentimes, things happen to us that are outside of our control. A lot of, one of the challenging things in being human is that for the first 16 years of our life, we're more affected by the choices other people make than the choices we make. And, and then you're held responsible for their choices because your future will not be determined by their choices. Your future will be determined by your response to their choices. So you have the power to choose a different future. And so what I want to leave you with in this conversation about burnout is 
If you're burnt out, set your life on fire and start a new one. Would you pray for them, Aaron? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not actual fire. <laughs> like a metaphorical fire. Metaphorical. Yes, okay. Thank yeah, you. Okay, okay. I'm going to pray? No, no, I think you should pray. I think you should. Yeah. And since... I'm gonna, if whoever closes their eyes first pray, doesn't pray. How will you know? <laughs> Please pray for us. Please pray okay, for I will. Us. Let's pray together. Father, I just know that there are some people who are in this conversation with us who are really struggling. They're trapped inside of their own skin. They're afraid that this is all there is to life. They're overwhelmed by anxiety and and you just can't find the energy to recreate themselves or their life. So, Father, we, we pray that you would do what we are powerless to do. I pray, God, that your spirit would restore them and refresh them and renew them and recreate them. That you would put in them just that drop of hope that gets them up in the morning. That you would breathe into them faith that their life will be different. And God, I pray that you would surround them by people who love them so dearly that they would pour love into them so they would find the power and strength of love to overcome. Father, I thank you that you never give up on us. And in some odd way, you just never, you never express disappointment in us the way that we just express it toward each other. You, you know us in our weakness. You know us in our shortcomings. You know us in our faults. And yet you love us completely. And I pray that your love would envelop each person. And God, I'm going to pray that there are people who are burnt out right now that a year from now would come back and say, I love my life. I didn't believe it could happen. But I've brought meaning to my life. And I'm not just searching for meaning in life. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining hey, us. Thank you so that much. Already answered thank you for listening to this podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I hope you enjoyed it. An incredible episode on burnout. And I hope that we can follow up this episode with a more updated conversation. And I think that's something that we've talked about quite a bit, but I do think that's something that's really special. Uh, I just want to thank everybody at the Hillsong Amsterdam team. What incredible pastors, what incredible leaders, what incredible audience. Thank you for letting us uh, be a part of it. And if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you could leave us, write and review on iTunes, leave us a comment, uh, follow us at Battle Ready Podcast on Instagram, and you can buy merch at earlmcmanus.com. Have a great day. We'll see you next Tuesday.